If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The Press Gallery this week is brought to you by Callaway. Now, the weather in Edmonton might be absolutely garbage for playing golf right now. Thank you very much, Rain. Feel free to leave at any point. But if you are headed out to the golf course, do remember about Chrome Soft, which isn't just another tour ball. It's the golf ball that's changing how tour balls are made. When Callaway made a low compression, low spin tour ball, others said, hey, they might be on to something, guys. And they tried doing the same, but they can't. You know why? Because the Chrome Soft is the only ball engineered with a graphene-infused dual soft fast core for serious speed and unbelievable control around the greens. See for yourself where everyone is playing and loving Chrome Soft. Order the ball at change the ball at callawaygolf.ca. And a quick reminder to subscribe to the Press Gallery wherever you're listening now, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Leave us a five-star rating if you enjoy what you hear. Any questions, comments, or concerns, do reach out to me. egraney at postmedia.com is my email, or you can find me hanging out on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Also, I want to remind you that we have a promotion going on right now. Head to edmontonjournal.com slash podcasts, and you can sign up for a free 30-day subscription to the Edmonton Journal to read all of our awesome journalism uh, that we give you day to day. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney. It is Friday, July 19, 2019, and this is the Investigations and Infections edition. <laughs> I just got wow. a great look. What a, <laughs> what a fun title. <laughs> just the word infections, everyone went, <laughs> because of what we're going to be talking about. We've got so much happening this week, which is weird for summer. But this happened last year as well. We are going to be talking about the latest in fines and police questioning in the various UCP leadership race investigations. In infections news, we're going to be talking about why Alberta has declared a syphilis outbreak. And we'll be going over some developments on the Persons with Developmental Disabilities program file. Let's jump right into it. No, I haven't talked, I haven't introduced you guys yet. <laughs> Good start. <laughs> Round the table with me today, who I completely forgot to introduce before I told you what we were talking about. <laughs> the content <laughs> is what matters more than the people. Oh, Emma, 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 political columnist Keith Duran, how are you, mate? I'm doing well, thank you. Excellent. Uh, my legislative <laughs> colleague, Claire Clancy. Hello, I got to pass all the parade goers on my way to work. Yes. And lining up Clancy in the rain. brought me a coffee. Mm-hmm. She's a legend. Yeah. Um, yeah, the K-Day parade is on, which is always amusing because everyone seems to forget every single year and it is just traffic and getting chaos. anywhere becomes a nightmare. Yeah, so when you're riding a bicycle, it's awesome because you just go down the bike paths going, wee! 
<laughs> and I walked, so I had no issues. Yeah. And Sarah O'Donnell, our boss, back from vacation. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you. Thanks Feeling for well rested? me on the show. I am so well rested <laughs> and excited for all these topics. Hooray. Well, I went over the topics already, so I guess. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to mix it up. It's summer. I just want to do things a bit differently, you know. Yeah, that's what happened. I didn't just forget. Let's jump into it with news this week in the UCP leadership race investigations. So Clancy, I want to pick your brains here. Um, Yesterday, we had the elections commissioner issue a whole thwack of fines to one-time UCP leadership candidate, Jeff Calloway, who of course his campaign was noted as being a, a kamikaze campaign, it's been called. Tell us the latest developments on this file. Well, so yes, well, <laughs> there is so you. much to say. And it's, yeah, it's just crazy because we've been covering this for so long now. But basically, the news yesterday was that Jeff Calloway himself is now facing a total of $70,000 in fines in administrative offenses. And so these are, there's a slew of different offenses. Um, the largest one was $15,000 uh, for colluding with Robin Lore, I believe. And what's funny, I mean, I guess uh, people love the word colluding in political reporting, but that was what the offense that's was. That's what it's called. Yes, that is what, it's, what it's called in the act. So there was an $8,000 fine for um, soliciting or accepting a $60,000 contribution um, that Callaway knew about or should have known about. Um, that was from a prohibited person or entry. Um, and then there was also a $5,000 fine, um, which was for... We actually have these printed out because there were so many. Because there are so many, yeah. And then there was a $5,000 fine for knowingly making a false statement on leadership contestant financial statements filed with the CEO. Um, And then on top of that, there were 21 offenses um, for $2,000 each related to um, donations that were from furnished funds from other people. So basically, other people giving money when they shouldn't have been. So yeah, the furnished funds thing is basically people get given money... And then so like Bob gets given money from a corporate entity or a third party and then Bob turns around and donates that money to the Callaway campaign. That's what all those $2,000 fines are for. And we've been clear as mud here, I think. And so. I think, and because we've been reporting on these for so long, I think it's important to note that um, those fines yesterday bring the total amount of fines that are linked to the Jeff Calloway campaign in 2017 in some way to over $140,000. Yeah, levy. Oh, well, there Plus, you go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think let's just note here we have attempted to reach Mr. Calloway for comment and we couldn't yesterday. Um, I'm going to be very interested to see if any of these fines are appealed. I know over on the podcast over the election cycle, we certainly talked a lot about uh, various um, penalties that election officials had issued. We saw a bunch of Alberta Party candidates being told that they could not run, only yep. to have those candidates go to the courts and have that overturned. Um, and and they were allowed to run the Alberta Party leader at the time, Stephen Mandel, being the most high profile of those. This is a different scenario here. We have uh, investigation and fines, but I don't think this will be the last that we've heard of them. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. $168,000 worth of fines tied to a single Jeff Calloway campaign, though, right now is an awful lot of money. It, it is an awful lot of money. And I mean, we were waiting for Jeff Calloway himself to get some fines here. I mean, they, the election yeah. commissioner had pretty much fined everyone around him. They fined his co-campaign chair, Cameron Davies, a bunch of money, had fined his other co-campaign chair, Randy Kerr, a bunch of money, some people that uh, donated money to the Jeff Calloway campaign that apparently wasn't money that uh, that was their own, at least allegedly. 
they got fined, but Jeff Calloway himself up until yesterday had not been fined. And so uh, when it did come, it was it was a whack load. It was a huge amount of money. Yep. And if you think about what the entry fee was to get into the UCP leadership race, I think it was $70,000, $50,000, something like that. I can't remember the exact number. We are now it was at a fine, lot of money. A lot of money. We are now at least at twice that amount in fines dished out to Jeff Calloway for donations that primarily went to pay his entry fee. Um, so, I mean, it sort of does, <laughs> the way this happened, it clearly didn't pay off for, for Jeff Calloway and his supporters. But to look at the big picture here, right, and this this comes from our own reporting, some reporting from CBC, as well as from Jen Gerson, from, uh, from McLean's, right, what is alleged to have happened here is that Jeff Calloway received a single very large donation from a corporation, Agropyros, I believe is the name, whose uh, sole shareholder was a gentleman by the name of Robin Lore, and you'll hear that name keep coming up. And allegedly what happened is this donation from Robin Lore, Robin Lore's company, went to the Jeff Calloway campaign, and then the Calloway campaign, knowing that the contribution limit was $4,000 per person, they had to find a way to divvy up that money among a number of different donors who put their names, apparently, towards a donation with money that was not their own. So that's allegedly how the Jeff Calloway campaign was funded. That's what all of these fines, or most of these fines, relate to. Uh, So that's the big picture with this. Keith, you're right. So basically... 60 grand goes into a big giant pot, if you can picture that, Scrooge McDuck style, and then a whole bunch of different people get money from that pot of money. Jeff Calloway allegedly knows about it, and then they give that money back to the Calloway campaign so that he can spend it in order to run for leader of the United Conservative Party. That's what this all kind of boils down to in a nutshell. And then separately, these, yes. um, lest you think that was all. Yeah, it's not the only issue that has followed the 2017 leadership race. So there are still ongoing questions, apparently, from the RCMP that are being levied at cabinet ministers and MLAs. And Emma did a story about this, um, who has so far been questioned by the RCMP mm-hmm. um, about uh, potential allegations related to voter fraud during uh, that leadership race. I called and or emailed every single MLA and cabinet minister asking whether or not the RCMP has contacted them in regards to the UCP leadership race. I did that this week. It took an awfully long time. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> well, there are 63 of them. Yes. So. <laughs> Initially, I had asked the, uh, the caucus, the UCP caucus and the Premier's office for a list of people who they know have been contacted by the RCMP. The answer I got from the Premier's office was there is no such list. And I said, well, of course, there probably isn't an Excel spreadsheet. However, could you gather those names into a list and give them to me? And they said, nope, you'll have to call everyone individually. So that's what I did because I took it on as a challenge. So basically the long and short of it was that five cabinet ministers have been contacted by police. They have been questioned, but they're not under investigation, they say. So we've got Doug Schweitzer, who is the Justice Minister slash Attorney General. We've got Leela here, who is the Culture Status of Women and... Multiculturalism. Multiculturalism minister. We've got Josephine Pon, who is Seniors and Housing Minister. Jason Luan, who is the Addictions and Mental Health Minister. And Prasad Panda, who is the Infrastructure Minister. 
They are the five cabinet ministers who have been questioned by police. Um, again, none of them under investigation. Yeah, RCMP seem to be on a fact-finding mission right now. That yeah. is what it kind of smells like, yeah. So all the other cabinet ministers tell me, no, they have not been contacted by the police in any way, shape or form. But aside from the cabinet ministers now, we have three backbench MLAs. So that was my story this morning. I found out that two backbench MLAs have been contacted and questioned by police. Jordan Walker, who is from Sherwood Park. He's the MLA, Edmonton region here. And Joseph Scow, who is Carson Siksika. Cardston Siksika. I cannot say that, but anywho, he's a deputy government whip. Um, very tall guy, used to play basketball. So they have both been questioned by police in regards to the UCP leadership weight as well. Um, again, both tell me, or through the executive director of caucus, say that they are not under investigation. And then we have Peter Singh, who is another UCP backbencher, who you might remember from such amazing adventures as my office was just raided by the RCMP days before the election. I swear my innocence. He's part of that as well. So that's where we're at right now. And it's it's bonkers. Like I've never and this seen leadership like this. race was two years ago, yeah, and it it's just 20, there are October so many questions. Yeah, so many questions still about what exactly happened and whether this has any implications whatsoever for the current government, if at if at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So by my calculations, and math is not my strong suit, so uh, it's no one, no journalist strong suit. <laughs> that That's not mind. true. You all are fine at math, and I stand behind our numbers like, always. <laughs> my goodness, don't be so hard on yourself. Okay. Well, you can check this later, um, but. Uh, 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 by my calculations, it's basically roughly 15% of the entire UCP caucus at this point has been questioned in relation to this investigation. The the one person who hasn't, strangely enough, is Jason Kenney himself. Yeah. I did uh, ask for clarity from the Premier's office whether he's been contacted in any way, shape or form at all about anything. I phrased it in a way that it was really hard to say no without blatantly lying. <laughs> so they tell me no. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have no reason to, to think that they that they have at this point. Mm. They may at some point. You'd, you'd think that just even doing their fact-finding mission, they, they may want to know what the party leader uh, knew about all of this. <laughs> but uh, at this point, it appears Jason Kenney has not been approached by the RCMP. But that's still a lot of MLAs, a lot of cabinet ministers uh, who the RCMP think might know something uh, in relation to this. Uh, so that's that's interesting. Uh, where this goes from now, I don't know. Uh, so we'll we'll have to see whether there'll be other uh, MLAs that wind up getting questioned about this. Whether we'll actually see a resolution to this RCMP investigation sometime in the next few months, maybe by the end of the year. But at this point. Where this all leads is difficult to say. We think it's related to voting irregularities, right? That seems Mm. to be the reporting that we've seen from CBC and others at this point is that they are looking into whether the UCP leadership vote was manipulated in some way. Uh, Its electronic voting process was manipulated. There does seem to be evidence that it was. Who was involved? How it was orchestrated? How far it went? Those are the questions we don't know yet. It's extra good. I mean, I know you talked about this in recent weeks about uh, them bringing in, you know, the Ontario uh, 
crown to oversee this investigation. And I just think, you know, moments like this increasingly show why that was a very, very smart move Mm -hmm. on the UCP's part. Even if it was a little bit delayed, um, it was absolutely the right thing to do. So even if it was their decision, though, and we don't entirely know if it was the UCP's decision. Doug Schweitzer, the justice minister, he swears black and blue that he had nothing to do with that decision and that it was an independent decision from the Crown. And the Crown sent out a, a press release to that effect. Um, Rachel Notley, the former premier and opposition leader, she doesn't believe that one single jot. But uh, yeah, that's where we're at right now. I should note something worked. Something (laughs) Something worked (laughs) properly. However, that happened. There, you know, this kind of outside oversight in a case like this is very important. Although I will add a little word of caution there: no one is naming who this special prosecutor is from Ontario. Ontario won't name the prosecutor. Alberta won't name the prosecutor. That seems a little odd to me that we don't know who this person is overseeing it. But and uh, we haven't been given a reason why they won't either. Alberta just keeps batting it to Ontario and going, if you want to know the name of the special pro- special prosecutor, ask Ontario. Ontario's like, I guess hear I that should. silence? Yeah, well, that's yeah. I guess that's probably a freedom of information request we should put in today. I then. guess so. Um, yeah, so that's where we're at right now. And of course, the other part of this is Jeff Calloway's kamikaze. Right. Thing. Oh my that, goodness. Like, yeah. enough, there, there haven't been any real developments no. there, but that's just how you might remember his name as being tied to a kamikaze campaign that basically would make comments about Brian Jean, uh, who was running against Jason Kenney for the leadership, um, that Kenny couldn't make or that he didn't want to make because he could stay out of the fray. Kenny admits fully that he it was pretty obvious that that's what uh, Calloway was doing. We did all kind of know at the time, even if Calloway wouldn't admit it. But Kenny also said during press conferences about this that he had had nothing to do with and did not know about any of the monetary ties in any of this. So- and the last development in the kamikaze story really was during the election campaign period when we saw yeah. those emails between um, Kenny staffers working on the campaign and um, the Callaway campaign kind of in terms of like briefing notes and graphics and um, ideas for kind of speech speech points. So there hasn't been any monetary kind no. of links that have been brought up. No, absolutely not. And the only link really is that like Cameron Davies, who was Callaway's co-campaign chair, was fined by the election commissioner a ton of money. $15,000. Yeah. yeah. And Cameron Davies was the one who, according to a whole slew of leaked emails that we got, was the one who was in contact with Kenny's campaign at a very high level regularly throughout the UCP leadership race. So, that, I mean, that's the only interlinking there. Anywho, Good job, guys. I feel like we deserve a pat on the back for explaining that. Well done. Well done. Gold stars all around. Let's move over to syphilis. Yeah. <laughs> not, okay, that's not a sentence I ever thought I would say. And yet here we are. Sarah, what's happening with syphilis in Alberta right now? Well, the rates are absolutely soaring. And I yeah. will admit, I'm the one who I was like, can we please talk about this today? Because yep. I think this is a critical public health issue. Um, since I've been at the Journal in 2001, I can recall major coverage of syphilis rate because syphilis had disappeared for a while. It was not a public health problem. And, you know, starting in the mid to late 2000s, it started coming back. And there were headlines about a serious public health crisis with rates that are a fraction of what we saw today. The province came out on Monday, the health officials, and basically reminded everybody that we have an outbreak. And not only do we have an outbreak, but that the rates from 2017 to 2018 had soared. 1,500 cases of syphilis in the Edmonton area, there's a 300% jump 
in the number of syphilis cases. And why this matters is, of course, none of us want to talk about syphilis. STI, sexually transmitted infections, are a yucky thing to talk about. And I, you know, I, I made a frowny face, you know, when we even say the <laughs> word infection in a headline, right? But syphilis untreated has long-term serious consequences. And even worse is the situations where you have, um, you know, mothers, pass, pregnant women passing it along to their children and children being born with congenital syphilis. These things can ultimately be fatal. And these are things that the goal is zero. It's not a, you know, there's not an acceptable rate of syphilis, but certainly if we had a serious public health crisis in 2010, and I can remember our colleague, Senator Simons, <laughs> writing about this time and time again, um, and the province has, you know, over the years taken some steps, but how whatever has happened in the past year, clearly the steps are either not targeting the right groups or there's something missing because the the rates that we've seen, and there's also been corresponding increase, I think chlamydia, which was a problem four years ago, there's been some declines, gonorrhea, also um, an issue, but syphilis is, is very, very serious. So I know Keith has written about you know these issues over the years and has some thoughts on it. I was a bit concerned about Keith and I were talking about, is there enough urgency from public health officials in addressing this? I mean, yes, they're calling it an outbreak. They're describing, they've, they've struck in what they call an outbreak committee, which in the next three months is supposed to come back with um, some strategies and new ways to try to bring these rates down. Um, I just, I wasn't sure, you know, in, I guess you want your public health officials to present with a calm demeanor, but I'm wondering, is there enough urgency? And Keith, has a different we have a slightly different take on this so well slightly i, I mean the numbers are, are pretty stunning i mean we're talking about the worst syphilis rate in alberta in well basically since world war ii uh yeah, 1948, in, in 1948 yeah. in 70 years so I, I, I mean that's that's ridiculous and this, this is a disease that's been around since the middle ages and easily treatable and easily treatable as well um you know it, it's it's obviously not a good situation we know though that sti rates have been going up around the world, North America and Europe in particular. Gonorrhea is another big problem. Uh, and I'm not aware of any jurisdiction that's really gotten a handle on it. Now, the increase that we've seen in Alberta is is particularly shocking. Yeah. In, in uh, every right. health zone yeah. in Alberta, with Edmonton right. and northern Alberta being particularly right. Increasing, it, it, it is, and it's stunning to even see it kind of concentrated in one one area like that. And I, I think uh, that we haven't gotten a great explanation as to as to why that is. So, but public health officials have certainly been aware that this has been a concern for several years at this point, and they have tried some different strategies. One of their their first ideas was that a lot of this was being caused by social media sites, these anonymous hookup websites and apps. And they targeted those and said, well, we're going to advertise on those apps and say, um, you know, you should get yourself tested. That seemed to work a little bit. Uh, it, they do say they, they got a lot of traffic to the Sex Germs website, uh, that they did get a lot of clicks uh, from that campaign. And that resulted in more people getting tested, which resulted in more positives. So some of the numbers that we're seeing right now are because more people are getting tested. However, that campaign seemed to stall. Their next idea was, well, we're going to do more direct outreach work with a lot of these community groups that already work with at-risk populations. So that was the, the latest thing. We don't know exactly how that went, but clearly, again, the numbers have continued to go up. The message, the prevention message is not getting through. So we'll see what this now, this new outbreak committee is is going gonna, is gonna to attempt at this uh, uh, and how they, how they try to get at this. 
It's uh, it's a big problem though, and I as I said, I do not know of any jurisdiction that actually has a great handle on this. Yeah, I mean, I think our colleague Elise Stolte has done some reporting on this as well, and it's easy to blame the the hookup apps, as you say. Um, the message she seemed to be getting a couple months ago was it's it's not that simple. Um, there there's there's some other issues at play. Unfortunately, you know, they haven't uh, health officials haven't been super specific with us. I guess you know you don't want to stigmatize any particular community, but I do think that um, it's it's worth us getting some more information about. Um, I guess once we find out where they are going to be investing their resources, and I think it's clear that this is a problem that is going to require a serious investment of government resources. Uh, you, you can't just let this continue to play out and see these rates increase. I know that we're facing, you know, Alberta is dealing with budget issues, but this is not an area where we can scrimp and cut. That's what I was actually going to say as well, is that AHS, um, as with every every kind of authority in the province is waiting until the fall to see what the budget's going to look like and to see what they actually, um, what kind of money they're actually going to have to prioritize issues like this. So I think um, I, I, like, it would be interesting to hear what those conversations are like at AHS right now in terms of what resources they actually have to fight something like this. And let's remember, there are babies dying out of this. In 2018, provincially, there were 14 cases, 14 cases of congenital syphilis resulting in one stillbirth. We've also got numbers now partially for 2019. In the first five months alone, seven cases of congenital syphilis and three stillbirths. Those are shocking numbers. We're on pace for a bad, bad year with that. So this is this is a very, very serious public health crisis. Let's move over to our last topic for the day, which is the People with Developmental Disabilities Program. There's been a couple of developments on this file, and it kind of comes back to what we were just talking about when it comes to budget decisions and different ministries waiting to see exactly how much money they're going to be getting in the full budget. This very much applies in the PDD program because, you know, if, if you have a developmental disability or you or your family on your behalf, you can you can apply for support. And it's a program. It's I think in 2017, it was an $853 million program. That only increased last year. I think 12,000 Albertans or, or thereabouts. That's right, about 12,000. And that's, you know, grown at, a, at, I think you said in your one of your recent stories, a rate of about 400 people per year. Because when I was reporting yep. on this issue in 2013, 14, it was about 9,000 people on yeah. the PDD rolls. So more and more people are signing off this program. Now, what we were hearing, and I did a story on this uh, late last week, is that people are really concerned because they're applying for supports and they're getting told by their caseworkers, I'm sorry, we can't give you those supports. We have no idea. Our hands are tied. We have no idea how much money this program is going to be getting. So we can't sign you up for full supports right now. And I spoke to one mother whose adult daughter, she's 20 years old. She has Down syndrome. Um, she functions at a kind of six to 10 year old child level. She obviously can't stay home alone by herself. So right now she's just finished high school. She's in a summer camp program. Um, and she is kind of at a crossroads right now. Her mom's trying to sign her up for full-time full programming, maybe to try and volunteer at a kindergarten a couple of days a week. And the caseworker's saying, nah, we don't know how much money there's going to be. We don't know if we can even give you those supports. And this is not a person who has other options. I mean, the mum can't just quit her job and stay home and care for her adult child. And the mum is like, this is just not fair on my daughter. She should have 
she should be able to some degree have the support and have the chances that my other children were able to have. And right now she has nothing. We want her to be independent. We want her to move out to an assisted living facility where there's like group homes that have kind of three people in them and they're, you know, they can have a degree of independence. They can sometimes get a part-time job. And right now people have no idea what's happening. Now remind me though, it was the NDP who initiated the review of the PDD program. And so what was their objective with that? So the PDD review was interesting. That was announced by um, former Community Services Minister Irfan Sabir in January 2018. However, it didn't get underway until later in the year. They eventually, I think in like November, are named who was on this panel. The idea of it is to basically take a deep dive into the program, look at how people are assessed, who is actually eligible, how supports are given to folks who need them, uh, what programs are covered, that kind of thing. So it was a really, like it was a very broad report and they wrapped up consultations late last year. When I did this story about delayed funding, I got a bunch of people contacted me and said, we're hearing that the the PDD review has been completely cancelled by the UCP government. Good news is that's not true. (laughs) It has not been cancelled. Apparently it's finished. And when the new minister was sworn in, she got a copy of the draft report and she's looking through it right now, has met with the chair of the PDD review, um, has apparently already met with members of the committee and stakeholders to come up with the next steps. So while there is worry, and I think it's fair enough too because there is such – there are so many questions around what's going to happen in the fall budget – at least this is an issue that is on the UCP radar or seems to be at this point. From your reporting, it's clear that people in the community are facing a lot of uncertainty. And I think maybe that's one thing that the provincial government should be trying to take a proactive stance on, is trying to communicate to people exactly what's going on and what the timeline is like for that review and potentially what changes they're going to look like in the fall. But from what I'm hearing from you, that is not what's happened. Well, it it seems like, yeah, people are worried is what it comes down to. But from what I'm hearing from government is that that PDD review and the next steps will be unveiled kind of late July, early August. So we will see some movement there by by all accounts. And let's not forget as well, the UCP and the Alberta Party were the only two parties that had any real promises to the disability community in their platforms. The Liberals did have a couple. The NDP didn't even mention the word disabilities once in their election platform. The UCP on page 77 had like I think they had one and a half pages of of ways that they want to improve lives of people with disabilities. So they do have some fairly lofty goals when it comes to promises for folks in that community. And they're really going to have to, you know, follow through on those, I think. But it's it's also an area that gets forgotten about. So we'll know more soon. Yeah, it is an area that does not get uh, enough attention, but it is one of those core government services that that people do rely on. And, you know, the UCP needs to figure this out and they need to figure this out quickly. If somebody qualifies under the law for funding, if they meet the criteria, they should be funded and the the rest should be figured out later. That's my view on it. Uh, I'm not sure that it's... um, ethical at this point to say, no, we have to wait for the blue ribbon panel to come back. We have to wait for the budget. Um, I think if somebody needs the funding now, they deserve the funding now. So Inclusion Alberta, I spoke with them and they had actually heard from families across Alberta that this was the case. They were getting told there were delays or they wouldn't be getting funding or there was a freeze on funding. That's what some families were told. And this was across Alberta. But when I spoke with Inclusion Alberta, they had just met with senior officials in the department who said, yes, there were delays and we're trying to ramp that back up again. So it seems like there has been some movement. That was the indication that Inclusion Alberta got. 
I did say, did it seem to you they were just saying that to placate you or did it seem like they really meant it? And she said, no, it did. And she laughed and said, I totally know where you're coming from, but it did seem like they really meant it and that there would be movement in the next few weeks on those applications. So hopefully there will be because, as you say, Keith, it's not like you can just suddenly not have Down syndrome and need those supports anymore, you know. And and Claire's point on communication is absolutely key because the PC government back five years ago when they tried to make some changes to PDD that included just changing how introducing new tests to assess people and those new tests caused completely different assessments and there wasn't any, there wasn't good communication around them and they had to go backwards and, you know, be like, okay, look, we're starting from scratch doing that. Communication was absolutely key. So the the any anything that moving forward, the the government is going to have to be very clear with with people about what's happening. Exactly right. All right, we don't have a lot of time left, but let's move over quickly to go through our good stuffs from the gallery, in which we recommend things we've read or seen or listened to lately that we think you might also enjoy. Keith Dryan, kick us off, mate. <laughs> um, so I'm going to recommend an oldie but a goodie. Uh, this is, uh, you know, we've been talking today a lot about the the Jeff Calloway campaign, the UCP leadership campaign, all of those allegations and, and potential scandals. And if people are confused, one of the the best Which resources, is fair <laughs> yeah, a, a, one of the best resources that kind of lays out everything that is alleged to have happened uh, was written by Jen Gerson during the the uh, fed, or the provincial election campaign. It's called "What Really Happened Inside the Alberta UCP's Kamikaze Campaign." It was published on March eighteenth, two thousand nineteen, just at the start of the election. Jen Gerson McLean's. If you want. A refresher on how this all likely unfolded or allegedly unfolded, that's the piece that I'm recommending. Nice. Clancy? I'm going to recommend something super fun. Um, it's a podcast. <laughs> um, it's a new one that came out recently uh, by Wondery, which does a whole slew of awesome podcasts, but it's called The Moment. And basically, it's kind of like quirky love stories, but there's one that's I'm going to recommend that's really funny um, and endearing. And basically, it's about a gay man in New York City who goes on a terrible date. These are all true stories. And um, he kind of tweets out into the ether at Taylor Swift and she becomes involved in his love story uh, <laughs> later on in life. So it's a really quirky um, yeah, podcast and I'm really enjoying it. Fantastic. I'm going to recommend, uh, I don't usually go into deep and serious recommendations here, but I'm going to recommend a book by Janice McKinnon. She is mm-hmm. currently heading up the Blue Ribbon panel into Alberta's finances. She wrote a book called Minding the Public Purse about her time as finance minister in Saskatchewan, why the government made the decisions that they did and um, basically what was going on in Saskatchewan at the time. I lived in Saskatchewan for four and a half years and a lot of this was new information to me. So I was just like, oh, that's what everyone used to talk about. I get it. It's a nerdy book, but I highly recommend it. It is actually a pretty good read. Um, And just briefly, if you saw my Twitter account over the weekend, Cricket World Cup final was on over the weekend. It was England versus New Zealand. Go and watch the YouTube highlights. It is probably the most dramatic game of cricket in the history of the sport. I'm not overstating it. It was bonkers. Highly recommend it. Sarah, take us home, mate. Um, well, I was on vacation for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and I was out in Ontario. And so I was picking up all the, the Ontario papers. And I just want to point to a, a, a series of stories that the Toronto started because it was very good um, a dogged reporting in, t- in terms of transparency. They got the uh, billing records. They had a five-year freedom of information fight to get access to actually like the actual billing records of doctors to find out who are the top billers in the Ontario uh, medical system. And of course, it's a very complicated equation, but 
once you know who those people are, then you can start to look at, well, what are they doing and da 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 and explain all the stuff about the overhead. But I just think the principle, which I think is something we've we've looked at in Alberta, is that something, uh, should we get down to that kind of nitty gritty? It, it's, it's very interesting. And it's interesting to read the series of stories that come from it. So I will recommend that work. Nice one. Thank you guys so much for joining me, Keith Dryan, Claire Clancy, and Sarah O'Donnell. Again, you can and should subscribe to the Press Gallery wherever you're listening right now. Any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot me an email, egraney at postmedia.com or track me down on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening.